a couple of seconds now. And uh, yeah, let's rock and roll on this. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Project Egg Show. I'm your host, Ben Gothard, and today we have the honor of speaking with Gary John Bishop. How you doing today, Gary? I'm awesome. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm excited to, to talk with you. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, man. And I cannot wait to ask you, what is your story? Oh, boy. Um, well, I've, I've clearly got this accent or... Usually when I talk, I like to tell the American people that the other ones were the accent. But anyway, um, I'm originally from Scotland um, and I came to the United States about 25 years ago. Um, I was a musician. I uh, had an, uh, what you would call a record deal back then. You don't call them that anymore. But anyway, a recording contract. And uh, I was a performer here. I, I didn't make any money. You know, <laughs> I hung out with a few famous people. I just never became one. But uh but, you know, I mean, that was all fine that my, I, I took a, you know, I stepped away from music in my early 30s and I got into the construction industry. And then um, about 12 or 13 years ago, I, I got into the personal development world as a participant. I, I participated in some of these, uh, some of these um, workshops and new workshops. And, you know, I, I wasn't really into the whole idea of it, by the way. I should say that, like I was pretty anti-self-help. Um, but anyway, uh, I started to notice like remarkable changes in myself. And uh, the more that I talked about it with people, the more I was noticing they were getting something out of it as I was sharing what I was doing and what I was getting. So very quickly, um, I went in this pretty intense leadership and training development program. And I became uh, initially a facilitator, but eventually I became a senior program director for one of the largest uh, personal development companies in the world. I traveled all over the world delivering these programs. And then I left that about five years ago, and I uh, I started my own little uh, coaching business. I was coaching uh, private clientele over the telephone, sometimes Skype. And somebody asked me, you know, should I would I write a book? Which seemed an absurdity to me, you know. But I thought, well, you know, why? After an initial kind of resistance, I thought, okay, I'll do it. And uh, the book spiraled. It just went. Absolutely insane. I self-published initially. It sold 35,000 copies um, in about five months. And I think now um, my books are somewhere between one and a half and two million copies sold. So, yeah, it's all kind of taken off from there. That's amazing. So when you were first getting into, you know, your career, getting into yeah. adult life. Yeah. Why did you want to be a musician? Yeah, um, the only kind of answer I could have to that is if I looked back at my childhood and some, it seemed like milestone thoughts or ideas that I had when I was a kid. I, I remember as a kid saying, you know, I wanted to leave my mark on this planet, right? Like it would be horrible to die and no one noticed, you know? Um, and I think I might have been like nine or 10. That's a pretty morbid thought to have for a nine or 10 year old. But those were the thoughts that I was having at the time. Um, and I, and I love the whole idea of um, being a musician. I loved rock and roll. That was definitely my thing. You know, I loved it growing up. And, I, you know, I played guitar and I sung. And, you know, I was pretty decent at it without being, you know, magnificent or something. I was pretty decent at it. Um, so it seemed like a natural progression for me. It was like it was where my interests lay. And as most musicians will tell you, you know, it's a great way to meet 
you know, potential partners, right? So, um, so I did, a, you know, I, I kind of served all of that in my youth, you know, it was, but it was, uh, it was, it was, a, when I look back on it now, um, the choice to go in and do that with my wife seemed really exciting. It seemed like I was up to something. And um, even though I didn't quite, I didn't even get close to hitting the kind of heights that one, some people do, it was an incredibly fulfilling and enlivening experience. I mean, it was just, it was brilliant being a musician. I loved it, you know, and, and I didn't lament its passing either. I was complete with it. You know, it was like, okay, that's complete. It was great. And it's time for something new, which is why I went went into business after that. That's wonderful. And, you know, I've been a musician too for a while and, um, you know, I have my, my guitars over on that side of there and, uh, you know, there's just something magical about creating music and, and, and playing music yeah. and having that connection with the other people, right? Other people like to, there's right. just, just something magical about that. When, when you were saying um, how you were, you know, you were at peace with, with moving on from it. Right. And it was, it just, it felt right. Right. Uh, I guess. How yeah. did, what did, what did, what did it actually feel like? What were those feelings? Like, how did you know, okay, now's the right time for me to move on. I've yeah. gotten what I needed from this. this yeah. Time. There was nothing else that I wanted to say about it. So I was also the guy who wrote the songs and there was nothing else I wanted to say. I felt as if I'd said it. And um, so it seemed pointless to try and make myself say something that I didn't want to say. Um, I'd, you know, lamented heartaches enough and hardships enough and, you know, like the kind of typical stuff that people write songs about, um, that, that I just felt as if there was, you know, I mean, there are clearly people who can keep saying it over and over and over. That wasn't me. I just, I, that was, I was, I really felt as if that, I, that I had served its purpose and it had served mine. That's awesome. So how did you then make the decision to go into construction? Why was that the next yeah. logical step? It was so easy. I mean, it was, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm probably what you would call pretty adaptable, right? I mean, I can kind of get into things, um, which has its own problems, by the way, being adaptable has its own problems. You know, you're kind of like a starling, you see like shiny objects and you just follow them. Um, but, uh, but it had its own, it had its own issues, but, but at the same time, I knew a friend of mine was in construction and I'm looking at what he's doing. And he was telling me, he's like, there's nothing to this. Um, and I'd always been kind of decent with my hands too. So because my father was a cooper, he made whiskey barrels. So like using your hands and creating things was a big part of my family life growing up. So I thought, well, I'll do this, you know. And it was incredibly lucrative. I made lots and lots of money out of it. Um, but again, unfulfilling, you know, like it was, I knew even even after five years of being in the construction industry, even though I had no plan at that point, I knew this wasn't what I was going to do in my life. I knew that I was going to give my life to it while I was doing it. And that's what one should do. Whatever you're doing, you should give all of yourself to it, um, whether you're in it for the long or the short haul. And so I gave myself fully to it. I bled it for everything that one might. Um, but I, But I also knew like, I, I knew that there was something going on with me that wasn't quite satisfied that I later discovered was like an un, like a really unquenchable thirst to make a difference for people. Mm. That's so fascinating. Like, because I feel like so many people are probably in that spot right now where yeah. 
they're doing something and it's just not filling up their cup. I yeah. mean, it, it may be paying the bills yeah. or it may not be, but, but, you know, it's not giving them that wholesomeness, that, that, that feeling of fulfillment and that excitement and that yeah. spark. Well, that's part of, I mean, a big part of that is the way we're wired, right? So you're actually not really wired for fulfillment. You're, you're wired to strive for it. So as human beings, but we are designed to reach for the next thing, whatever the next thing might be. So you've got a bunch of people watching this or listening to this right now. And they, at once upon a time, had this big accomplishment for their life and mind. And then they did it. And then, and then they fell off the edge of a cliff. Like, oh, that didn't do it. Oh, maybe it'll be this. That'll, I'll start a business. That'll be the thing that I'll do. And then you did that. And then you fall off a cliff. And then you're like, well, maybe I should double my income. That's probably what that. And so on and on and on it goes. What we fail to realize is the kind of machinery you're dealing with. Right? You're dealing with a machine that's never satisf satisfied. Right? And so we, we live these lives of pursuit. Like we're pursuing something. And it seems like that something that I'm pursuing will solve some issue about me that I haven't quite yet identified yet, but I know it's not quite what it needs to be. Like there's a, a gap or a void or a, something with me that I can't quite name, right? And that's a big part of personal development work is, you're, is eventually you should be able to name that. You should be able to say, this is the thing that I'm out to fix. And so all human beings are, whether they realize it or not, and I should add that most of them don't, uh, every ambition you've got is to fix something that's going on with you. And I mean, all of them, every ambition you've got in your mind's eye, you think, well, when I get there, then that'll be it. Right. So if you're a musician, you know, like as soon as I can play that deep purple, like that'll be me, I'll be good. Right. Or as soon as I can play that, I can get that, those four chords going in that halftime thing. If I could learn that, I'd be, and then you learn it. You're like, yeah, you know, it's good, but it can always, so it never quite, you never quite fill the hole. It's never quite there. Um, and and as, as I said, we, we have little or no notion that what we're actually after is something about ourselves. It seems like I'm after more money or a better house or a nice car or, or a partner or whatever the hell I'm after. It doesn't seem like that's got anything to do with me. But, uh, but a lot of the work that I do is revealing that for people, is revealing, well, what is the problem you're trying to fix here? And... For people, it's often very surprising. It's often like, wow, I never figured that about myself. Like I was, that's what I'm after, like that, you know. Um, but a quick way to understand it, by the way, is to ask yourself, if I did all this stuff, who would I get to be then that I currently don't get to be right now? I don't know myself as this. And if you can kind of project yourself out there a little bit, you'll get a better sense of what this is really all about for you. So when you were in the construction business, what was it about yourself that you were trying to fix? Um, well, I became this like hardworking animal, right? So I have this like, I have this kind of like unparalleled industry, right? At least in my mind's eye, it's unparalleled, but it's, but, uh, and for anybody who's hardworking, like as a kind of, as a part of your personality, um, it's an insatiable beast, right? I mean, the work never ends. It's just constant. And it's the next thing and the next thing. And it's how you solve every problem you've got. You're just going to out hustle it. 
right? And then there are other people who do differently. They're analytical. So they'll analyze everything, right? Some people are laid back. They all, I don't work out. We'll see how it goes. And they revert to that. So for me, it was hard work. And it wasn't until much later that the hard work was designed to overcome some flaw that I had with myself. And the flaw that I had with myself was that I'm not smart enough. Now, I wasn't walking around saying, oh, I'm not smart enough. And no, I was just living the life of that guy. I wasn't, right? It wasn't like a recurring, you know, conversation that I was dwelling in with myself. But I lived the life of someone who related to themselves as if they, they didn't belong in that kind of echelon of people who were smart, right? Um, and then when I uncovered it, I started to see what I'd done with my life. I started to see, like, that it was all about trying to fill a bucket that I didn't even know I was trying to fill. Um, and then that's that was part of my choice. And, and finally writing the book was bec because subconsciously, you're not, only, you're not only driven by what's in the background of your thoughts, but you're also driven to prove its validity. Like it has to be real for you to pursue it. So you have to keep finding evidence for that it's accurate. And so I thought, well, one of the reasons why I wouldn't write a book is because it would conflict with what I'd concluded in the background of my thoughts. It would, it, they couldn't coexist. How could I say I'm not smart enough and I've written a book, right? So it was a big challenge for me. It was like, it was, a, it was like this noise and about, you know, you can't do it and you don't know what you're doing and what are you thinking? And people are going to laugh and, and every day as I typed, that noise was there. And then when I would get stuck, it would get worse, you know? Um, but, it, but I realized like I had to be able to produce a result, a result that went beyond that, that went beyond that little noise that I could do something that went beyond what I thought fundamentally I could do. So how did you identify that was the bucket you were trying to fill? Yeah. Cause that seems like a critical, critical piece yeah. for anybody who's, who's stuck or is not where they want to be. Yeah, it's that identifying that bucket that they're trying to fill that they may not even realize they're trying to fill. Right. Um, it's all reverse engineering. It's a lot of what I do. Like a lot of, like for instance, I talk quite a bit about self sabotage. Self sabotage doesn't make any sense. It makes no sense. You know, why would I pay off all my debt and then put myself right back into debt within six months? Why do I lose all that weight and then just pile it all back on again? Why would I tell this person I love them and then in the next breath, like I'm throwing them under the bus and killing this relationship off? What's that about? It doesn't make sense. If you reverse engineer it, it makes total sense. If you say, well, what if I'm supposed to do that? How does this turn out? What does it confirm for me? Then you'll start to get a little more insight into what you're subconsciously driven by. So if you look at the outcomes, if you look at like, if this keeps going, what does it confirm for me? What do I get to say is true? This is true. This is clearly true, right? And so for me, adding up some pieces over time, and, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who, like, I like to ponder things quite a bit. You know, I'll hang out with something for months. You know, I'll peel it apart until I've kind of investigated the whole thing. And so, like, uncovering that I've lived the life of someone who doesn't think they're smart enough, like, and I even managed to kind of see like little bits in my childhood where I recall in class saying to myself, oh, what are you doing? You don't, you don't know what you're doing. 
And so it was clearly those threads were being sewn back then. You know, I was starting this process. Now, I should add, by the way, that internal noise of I'm not smart enough is very, very common among people um, and very common amongst people that you would think are very smart. You, you would look at them and go, well, this is clearly a smart. That is not their experience of themselves. That's not how they relate to themselves. There's how you see them. And then that's how they see themselves. And that's usually the darkest part of a human being. It's the stuff that's going on with you that even you find it painful to acknowledge or admit. But if you brought it to the light, you might actually see you've got way more say in it than you had imagined. Hmm. That is very, very powerful. So once you've identified it, and, and just to make sure I understand yeah. We're talking about trying to, as objectively as possible, forecast out, okay, if the the results that I've been getting, if that continues to happen, you know, five, ten years down the road, right. like, who would that person be? If those results continue to happen, what path is that leading me towards? Right. Is it somebody who's a loser or somebody who's broke or somebody right. who's – not smart, you know, whatever, whatever that thing right. is. Or, or not loved or not cared for. Right. Like, these things get confirmed in your reality. You don't realize you're cherry picking life to make it match up with what's going on in the background of your thoughts. You don't know you're doing that. You just know like, hey, if I've had a series of relationships and they're not working out. I mean, there were some people that said they love me, but, you know, what did I know? I mean, that's not really real, right? Or, yeah, I had opportunities to go and do X, Y, or Z, but you know, that's not for me. Or I could have went, la, la, la. well, I, I'm not really sure about that. You're always finding evidence to, to um, like I said, to validate, because you gotta get, like, when we're born, we're born into this world of, I mean, it's chaos. You have to make some sense of it. You have to have something that you could stick in the ground and be able to say, all right, this is what it is to be alive. These are some truths. These are things that I hold as true. Now, they're so true for you that they're real. Like, there's no questioning. In fact, somebody once asked me, oh, yeah, this is all about self-limiting beliefs. You don't know your self-limiting beliefs. <laughs> if you knew them, they would no longer be self-limiting beliefs of yours. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> your self-limiting beliefs are the truth. This is how it is, Mr. Scottish man, right? This isn't some, you know, like, this is how it is. And this is what we argue about. We argue for our, like I said, our truth, right? Um, without ever questioning it. Like, well, how come, right? And uh, uh, a number of years ago, I was uh, working on an, an Excel spreadsheet. I was teaching myself how to use Excel spreadsheets using YouTube. So... I'm on there like typing away, like, oh, this is amazing. This is like a world I never knew existed. But anyway, I was like strategizing like the remaining three quarters of the year for my business. And I'm like, and then I saw the number at the end and I'm looking at the number for about five minutes. And I'm really just staring at it. And I was like, where did that come up with that number? Where did that come from? Like, and I, when I looked at the number, I was thinking I can do that, right? There wasn't a number there that I didn't think I could do. There was a number there that I thought I could do. Where did I get that idea? And then I noticed like the number was what was at the start. 
That's what the business was built around, the number. It wasn't built around the business. It wasn't built around what was possible. It was built around what I thought I could do. Now, I, I wasn't born that way. I wasn't born with, oh, yeah, $100,000 a year. That's your limit, right? I mean, I didn't pop out that way. I learned that somewhere. Somewhere along the line, that was something that I settled on as being a positive result, right? I had no concept of that it could have been 10 times that. And that if I'd given my life and my Excel spreadsheet skills to the 10 times that, I might have produced that result. But that was never in my consciousness. It was never part of my strategy. So I, I do that all the time. I'm always looking at life to, and I question myself, like, why not? Where did I come up with that that's the truth? And I noticed that most of it is just nonsense that I put together to somehow and survive this life. So once we've identified this in ourselves, yeah. how do we go about course correcting and reshaping this this truth of ours yeah. to better serve us? Um, you first of all, the first part of this, when you kind of un start to uncover it, because it's like a thread, you know, you pull it and it's like, oh boy, right? The, the, the surprising thing is when you see the kind of catastrophes behind it, you see the mess you made. And it's a big mess. It's not a little one. It's not like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, because you might have trashed relationships. You might have fractured your own family. You might have, you know, ended a business. You might have lost a small fortune. You might have taken a left turn when the right turn was screaming at you when you took a left. And you will see a lot of your the errors of your ways when you notice how much you've been driven by something that you previously never noticed. So the first thing is like, is that kind of shock of awakening yourself to the full impact of what that's been. When I got the impact of, for instance, that I'm not smart enough, I mean, there were certain people I could date. There were certain people I couldn't date. There were certain places I could live. There are certain places I can't live. There were certain ways that I would teach myself how to do things and then I would cut it off because that's too much, right? What I would say was I'm bored by it or something, but really what was happening was I'm challenged by it. Therefore, I'm going to back up. So I, I, dealt, I actually had to deal with, first of all, the mass I'd made. And then the next part is the really interesting part. That, that now you're in this kind of sense of wonder, this sense of kind of like, huh, well, why not? Why not me? Why not that thing? And so, uh, for instance, with the Excel spreadsheet thing, I immediately doubled the number at the bottom of the Excel spreadsheet and I doubled it. And that's, that's what I'm going to do for this year. Now, as I doubled it, I, I mean, I was almost having a nosebleed at the thought of that amount of money, right? I was like, oh my gosh, like I don't even know. I had to go back through the whole thing and start to work out how I would make that happen. And my initial response to it was just double down on what I'm doing, which you can't, I couldn't do that. I couldn't double down. I literally had to reinvent my business. I literally had to bring in things that I'd never even thought of doing before that were more in line with this new outcome. That's the big problem, though, because what you're up against now is yourself and what 
and all your resistance and all that you think you can't do and why you can't do it and why this is a bad idea and why this isn't possible and what are people going to think? Like, it's the noise here that you're really going to have to deal with. And you might have to deal with it 58 times a day for the next six months, right? The noise of this is stupid. And then you're flat and then you're like, oh, it's going to happen. Oh, my God, it's terrible. And I think it might happen. Oh, it's terrible. So you go through these kind of highs and lows because you're operating on things that you've never exposed yourself to. It's all new. You're like, oh my, I didn't, everything that you know would work doesn't work here. So you quite literally have to reinvent yourself. You have to be patient when you want to hurry it up. You have to be courageous when you want to back off. You have to, and that's why I say to people, the greatest work you'll ever do is the work you do on yourself. Because this is what needs expanding, right? It might look like your bank balance, but you'll never expand your bank balance if you don't expand how you're doing it and why you're doing it and what it's really all about for you. So one has to, uh, you have to be a little two-handed about it. So now, it's just as a basic practice, I'm way more fascinated in what I think I can't do than what I think I can. Like what I think I can't do, you know, I mean, I've probably done it or some version of it or watched somebody else do it. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by, yeah, but what if it was this, though? But not a fantasy, not like, you know, I'm going to become the new Iron Man or something. Not like some fantasy, but really like going beyond the kind of outer reaches of what I think are, is possible. Like, what's out there? What's another 20% past that? What's out there? And that takes some imagination. And it takes an incredible amount of personal integrity because once you commit to that, then you got to have the courage of your conviction to see it through. And you got to deal with yourself to see it through. And that is your biggest obstacle. It's, it's not what's out there. It's, it's your opinion of what's out there that you're up against. You're not, you're not up against what's out there. What's out there is just what is out there. Um, so it's a, it's a everyday um like a like an inquiry or an investigation into what's possible for me and then at the same time starting to deal with and strategize and have my actions daily have my actions daily align with those outcomes rather than the kind of predictable outcomes that i'm drawn to which is hard work hard work hard work and all within a safe kind of bubble but predictable and da, da, da. i got to keep stretching myself and that's where i live my life right there on that crossroads so I'm curious because and, – and I think about this all the time, and I'm so, so glad the conversation has gone this way. Um, but you're talking about how on the one hand, I believe I heard you said you were pushing like the, the outer limits of like what's possible, the 20%, and, and always figuring out what you can't do and then questioning that. But then I also believe I heard you said, but it can't be a fantasy. And – Where's that line? Yeah. Is there a line? Because there is a line. There is a line. There's totally a line. If you break it down, right? I've actually, I think I spent about 10 months thinking about this thing. But anyway, if you look at a fantasy, if you break it down into how you're going to do it, you'll actually find the thing that's, you'll see the fantastical leap. You'll actually see the thing. Like, and then when, after Oprah interviews me, then I'll make the 20 million. Right. Well, there's your fantastical leap, right? There might be a lot of logical steps and there are a lot of things that one might do. 
Um, I mean, again, you know, to be fair, even fantastical leaps can be tackled. But if it's like, you know, this, if it's, if it's such a, like, I, I once had a client come to me and he said, next year I want to make $30 million. I said, good, awesome. He said, how much did you make this year, last year? How much did you make last year? He said, 60 grand. See, I, I like that you have that kind of view of things. Let's get into reality and deal with, is this 30 million real for you? Or is it more like 300,000? And then three, four, five years, you know, maybe it is 30 million. Who knows, right? And once we got into it, there was just so much fantasy in it. There was so much, and then this will happen, and then this will happen. But there were no actions in place to make anything like that happen. It was all just this kind of series of events that they'd worked through in their mind that for them would happen, but there was nothing in place to make anything like it happen. So that leap of fantasy was a big part of the plan. And if there are any leaps of fantasy in your plan, you got to get them out, which might mean you'll bring the outcome a little in. That doesn't mean that, but that could well just be short term. It could well be like, well, Maybe I just need to get to the top of this next hill and then see what's there and then reach for the next thing. And I think that's how people like to work. I think people like to work in those kind of paradigms of success because the, the, the few people who it's like an explosion, they really are the exception that proves the rule. That it, it's more like these kind of like these shifts in paradigm, like to there, to there. Some of them are big, some of them are smaller. And even people who have had a lot of success, if you look back, you'll see you went through some spaces and then boom, you know. Um, and I could definitely see that with myself. You know, I went through a lot of different spaces. Some of them happened rapidly, some of them more stretched out. But, um, but, but they were all in, kind of in keeping with this model that I'm talking about, which is where people like to explore the paradigm they're in, maximize it, start to reach for the next one, maximize it, start to reach for the next one, and then your efficiency, your effectiveness in all of those areas starts to grow and mature with you. You become much better at it. A lot of things that once upon a time cause you a lot of headaches and I'm knocking it out of the park because you're focusing on bigger things. Um, so I love the idea of people being able to explore paradigms, explore kind of worlds that they're in and then looking to venture into the next one and the next one, the next one. So then how do you make sure that you're exploring those like you're you're reaching that next level and yeah. reaching that next level and and you're making sufficient progress yeah in order to hit the outer limits of your potential yeah so there's two things that are it can you can look at the numbers okay the numbers are a good way to see where am i that, and but the numbers are just a scorecard really right um but usually if you if and i'm sure you've had this in the experience and i'm sure your listeners have you kind of know when it's plateauing. You kind of know when it's you're in that space, like all the elements that you've put in place aren't making anything new happen, right? So I have this, and it's a policy with my marketing people and my publishers and all my agents. Roughly about every year, I burn everything down and build something new. So I've got a business model. We're going to do this. This is what we're going to do, and this is what it's going to be about. Then at the end of that year, I'm like, okay, that's done. Let's burn it down. And we'll take things in a whole new direction where we want to do new things and introduce new people and bring new team members in. And, and we're constantly exploring what works, what doesn't work, 
what's growing us, what's not growing us. Um, and and it's, it's again, that's the kind of integrity of watching it and responding to whatever the business is telling me because it's, it's constantly talking to me, constantly. Um, what I'm, the kind of, the kind of minefield, if you like, is is when it's telling you something that you're not particularly open to listening to, that you're more of a slave to the strategy than what's getting produced. So you need to have that keen ear, that keen listening for what's this thing telling me right now, and how does this fit into my overall strategy. And are these things that I put in place six months ago, eight months ago, are these still serving me? Or is it time to now introduce something else? And you'll notice when you introduce that something else, it raises stakes as it brings in new potentials and introduces new potentials. And that's the beautiful thing about potentials and the realizing of a potential, you're immediately present are presented with the next one. You're immediately presented with Oh, hey, over here, right? Um, so you can usually tell there's that, again, that experience of plateau or, or the elements that you have in place aren't lifting it anymore. That's probably a good time for you to just burn it down and, and build a new model, which to quote Buckminster Fuller, uh, I just, I love that whole notion of, I'm not interested in wrestling with the model of God, I'll just build a brand new one and I'll, and I'll have it fulfill on a whole other level of success. When you started to get into personal development and you started to see results for yeah. yourself. Yeah. And it would it would appear that you continued down that path. Yeah. Uh, and and it seems like you've been working on yourself for a long time. Yeah. What have besides when we've the ones we've talked about, what have been the the biggest, most powerful levers that you've pulled based on that work and that research and in that learning, that discovery. You process. mean people that I've worked with that I've coached? Do you mean that? No, I'm saying like for yourself, like what have been the biggest levers you've been All able right. to pull? All right. So, okay, good. All right. So personal development works a kind of tricky thing um, because a lot of people get into it with the idea that there's some kind of outcome. That is, there's a point where this is over, right? Right, like I'll I'll be like Gandhi, and you know, floating on air, and we'll all be good, right? Or I'll be like a Jedi or something. By the time we're done with this work, it's not like that, and it's not like that at all. Personal growth is about growing where you're at, right? It's about expanding and exploring. It doesn't always mean more money. It doesn't always even mean more happiness. It might mean a different kind of happiness or a different kind of satisfaction, a different kind of peace of mind or, uh, or a growing sense of being okay with who you are. It's a lot of different things, but you're never a done deal. The day you're a done deal, you die. Okay, so that's, the, that's a critical thing. But one of the big things that sprung open a lot of things for me, okay, like sprung them open was I'd never... I'd never confronted the degree to which I was absolving myself for how my life was going. And I was not a victim any kind of human being. I mean, you know, when somebody says a victim, right, we've usually got this image of somebody, you know, oh, it's terrible. That's, that's actually not. 
it's not your stereotypical. And, and when, when I talk about the people that I've worked with, they're usually like rebellious and indignant and triumphant. Usually like, oh yeah, I've overcome all of that and I'm still, and I'm knocking out and I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a victor over all that kind of stuff. You usually find like, if you peel back a few of the layers, that propensity for pointing to something else as to why they are the way they are or that they've done what they've done is deeply ingrained. So I'd never related to myself like I'm a victim. You know, I was, I thought I was a champion, you know. Um, but when I, when I look back in my life, and that was one of those times when I look back and I saw like, this has all been somebody else's fault. The whole thing was somebody else's fault. Why I'm an asshole, that's somebody else's fault, right? Why I didn't do that? Well, you know, I give it my best shot. But, you know, luck or, you know, I was just constantly explaining away why my life was the way it was. I would have an ex I had an explanation for all of it. It never occurred to me that I was backing myself in a corner. And the moment that I realized it, the moment that it, it was a massive aha for me. And, and that was one of those moments when I had to deal with the carnage. I had to deal with the mess that I'd made and the relationships that I'd fractured or broken, uh, or at the very least strained. And, and a, a big one for me was the mess I'd made in my marriage. I mean, I was still married, but, it, you know, I mean, it was just so contentious. And I realized, like, you know, at that time, I was way more interested in being right with my wife than loving her. And that was shocking to me. Like, hold on, I, I said to this woman that I would love her. And yet here I am, like, getting dug in every day about who's right here. Um, so th these, those were like that moment where I started to see where I'd put myself and what my thoughts were organized around um, was eye-opening. And it was, it was one of the, it was, I think that might be the first time in my life I ever experienced that I had a real say in how this was going to go. That's such an empowering moment. Yeah. 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 And, and I also got like... Um, very shortly after, I realized that this world that we lived in didn't work for me. And when I say it didn't work for me, I don't mean in a self-serving way. It didn't work that it was going the way it was going. And that I'd pretended that I had no say in that. I pretended I'd satiated myself on the notion that I'm just one man. And so I... That was when, you know, I really started to step up as a leader. I really started to say, no, I have a voice, I have a say, and I'm going to educate myself to the point where I can say something that does make the kind of difference that I'm out to make in this world. And that's my, all of my life is in service of that. So all of my life is in service of making a difference for others, for empowering people and for elevating people to live great lives. The beauty of that is that I get to live a great life as having that as an authentic purpose for me. That's, that really is what my life is about. Anybody that's ever worked with me, anybody who's ever been in partnerships with me, if you're in it to make money, we're not doing it. If you're in it to make a difference and that we might make money, that's fine. But if you come at me and say, I've got a brilliant business idea will make you rich, I probably won't even respond to your email. Right? Even though you might have a genius thing to say, it's not what my life's about. My bank balance is fine. That's all great. But one of these days, I'm going to die. 
And what I want to be left with is the difference that I made, not the money that I made. So when you were writing your book, your very first one. Yeah. How did you parse through all of the information that you'd learn to craft that piece? Yeah, it's a good question. It's a great question. In fact, the book was kind of like a rebellion um, against the self-help industry. That's why I had the title. It was really challenging to bring a book out with that title at that time. Not that. Everybody's got a curse word in the title of their books. But I didn't. And, there, and it made it really hard. But, but that was authentically the book I wanted to write. It was my book. And that was important to me. And at the time, this was, you know, 2015 when I was writing it, it occurred to me there was a lot of stuff out there about just made up voodoo about what it takes to be your greatest self or something. And there was a lot of, you know, visualizing yourself as a tiger, and which just seemed, how does that help me if I've just lost my job? You're a tiger. Okay, well, I'm not a tiger, but how do I get a job, you know? Um, I wanted to write a book that was real, that it had depth, that it was uh, philosophically um, quality, like it had a real philosophical quality to it. But it was so simple and easy to use. Like you could read it and you could pick a page. And I had this idea in my mind that you could open up any page this was actually part of my editing process, but you could pick up, you could open up any page and you would find something in that page that would inspire you, right? And if you look through that first book, you pick a page, you will struggle to find a page where there's not something in there. You'd be like, aha, right? And that was very deliberate. But the real struggle with the book wasn't what to put in it. It was, it was what to leave out. That was the big struggle. That was where most of the work was. That book could have been 150,000 words. Easy. Easy. It's 30,000. And that was the hardest part. It was like, take that out, half that, make that one sentence. When I wanted to stay four pages, I want to leave that there. And it is one of these books where... Um, the, the the value of the book is in the gaps between the sentences. That's the value of the book. It's not the sentence. It's what it brings to life. If you if you read the book literally, it's completely useless. If you apply your life to it and you think, you can change your whole life from it. That's awesome. Now that you've been on this journey and, you know, you've sold millions of copies of your book, um, you know, you've, you've been studying and, and learning and, and been in business and figuring it all out. What questions do you still have? And I know we talked about it a little bit, but what questions do you still have about yourself that you're still working on? Yeah. Um. I don't know if it's a question. I, 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 I'm often left in this, and it's it's very challenging, very challenging. 
um, I'm left in this at times overpowering urge to revert to type to just because it's just easier. It's just, it's just easier, right? To just work hard, do it for myself, pay my bills, you know, don't all this making a difference for people. It's so much easier just to live that life and safer. So there are times when I'm, and it's not too frequent, but it's frequent enough where I'm like, huh, what's that really all about? Um, where the magnitude of what I've exposed myself to makes you want to shrink back. You know, you're like, oh, what if, is this some kind of Pandora's box here? But I, I'll wrestle with it a little bit. Usually what I come back to time and again is that I would never forgive myself. That, I, that it, I mean, I'd be fine. I would live the rest of my life and I'd die. But I read this thing many years ago about George Harrison. So for the younger generation, he was the guitar player on the Beatles. And uh, he was, he after the Beatles completed, you know, he was a solo artist. But he became this deep, deeply spiritual man, you know, like just really. And, the, and, the, and it's reflected in his writings. His, his music was really quite magnificent. <clears throat> and he, somebody asked him this question about what his life was about. And he said something like, I'm preparing for the final 10 minutes of my life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Which seemed weird, like, so your life is about preparing to die? Like every living day. And he, he was really right up front about it. Like, yeah, because that's what I'm going to be left with in the last 10 minutes. I'm going to be left with what I'm doing today or not doing. And so it's not morbid at all for me to remind myself of my impending death, whether, whether that's 40 years or 30 or whatever. I, I, I like to awaken myself to the notion that this is, this is finite, right? This, this doesn't go on and on and on. Like there's a point when I take my last breath and that kind of, that kind of like um, injects an urgency into me. Like, it, like a, then I'm not stopped by little things. Then I get reminded of the opportunity of living a big life and exposing yourself to things because I would just hate to be left with at the end that I could have done something more. What does that look like for you at the very, very end? That I think I, I, that I, that I want to be left spent. I, I want to be left spent. I want to be left that I did that all like, like the way I was when music ended, like spent, like, whew, whew. That was awesome. And I'm not doing it again. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um I so I want to be left with that. I want to be I want to be left with that an ordinary man was capable of doing extraordinary things. Like all ordinary men and women are. That's amazing. Well, Gary, I want to thank you so so much. For, uh, for for coming on the show today. And I want to be very respectful of your time. Thank you. Um, so I uh, have one more question for you. Then, yeah. then we'll wrap it on up. Uh, I'm I'm 24. And yeah. so I want to know specifically from my perspective, what questions should I be asking you 
that I just wouldn't think to ask. Yeah. Question that you would probably want to ask me is, um, what should I be preparing for? What would be the answer to that? So right now in your life, because you're 24, and it's, it would be very natural at 24 to kind of be in this kind of place, you're left with this little illusion that you think you might have figured it out, right, to one degree or another, right? Like, I think I kind of got – so you listen to other people talk about their life, and you're like, I am not doing that. And then you do it. so so what you should be prepared for but i think in your 30s and your 40s is your life being unrecognizable from the one you're in but not in a good way unless you start to pay attention to where you're going right now and what this is about does that make sense i think at some level and i think at some level, yes, and another level, I think I need to ponder it more to fully understand the magnitude yeah. of it. Yeah, what you think's not common is probably common. What is? Wait, what does that mean? <laughs> um, there's a, I think Jung said that you know whatever you resist will persist by virtue of your resistance. So whatever you're having trying not to happen, it's probably going to happen. So then what do you do about that? I know that's really, (laughs) that's probably a thing you do need to ponder. (laughs) 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 No, I feel like I'm Yoda, but anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you kind of are Yoda. (laughs) (laughs) Or probably the same age, but different colors. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Gary, again, I, w- I want to thank you so, so much for uh, for coming on the show and, and sharing this time with me. It's been very special. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And it's been great talking with you and great questions. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And to everybody who's watching and listening, uh, I want to thank y'all very, very much. Um, y'all rock. And I love you. And uh, I will see uh, Gary again. Thank you. And I will see all of you on the next episode. Take care now.